History happened everywhere. The verdict. This is our After Show podcast, where we look back at the most recent episode, number 84, Latin, in Bahrain during 1939 to 1945. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out, or else there will be spoilers ahead. Hey! Sure, guy! Sure, guy! (laughs) Happy New Year, sure, guy! My name is Gaius Shirticus. I'm Shirticus. <laughs> no, I'm Shirticus. <laughs> I'm Shirticus. <laughs> Hello, my name is Ryan Weir, and I'm here in the HHE studio with the open umbrella to my bar rainy day. It's Mr. Peter Goddard. Ah, but am I an umbrella protecting you from the rain, or am I in Bahrain collecting the rain in my upturned umbrella? <laughs> you are the upturned umbrella <laughs> to my bar rainy day. That sums us up nicely. I'd say so. And we are joined as ever by the dark Dillman of Doom. It's the judge himself. It's Mr. Paul Dursley. Ave Udex, Moraturi to Salitant. Mmm, Preserta Moles. Yeah. Yeah, I'm out. That was all I had. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what does it mean? Ah, judge, we who are about to die salute you. What's the reference? That's a gladiatorial statement at the beginning of a fight. Exactly. <laughs> He's going to be in his element this episode, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> now, I am still suffering the devastating loss of my claim to the Hawaii Islands, and in suffering that shock, I have forgotten everything about the last episode. Pete, so please, would you remind me what happened in, I don't know, let's say 60 seconds? No problem. When would you like me to do that? Do it now. We took a visit to Bahrain, the tiny archipelago nation and home to the once notable Dilmun Empire that might even have been the source of the story of the Garden of Eden. We unearthed the dead language of Latin, still used by doctors, lawyers, judges and other clever types. We discovered the propaganda that aimed to keep the people of Bahrain on Britain's side during World War II. We learned about the lawsuit between nations over who owned the Hawar Islands that just happened to get heated when they found oil in the area. And we met the Socotra Cormorant who lived on those islands, nesting with its buddies and not interested in oil at all. Overall, dictum factum, it was ipso facto, a bona fide pro bono episode. That was last week's episode done, summarised nicely, nice one son. Now we're over to a young Dursley who's gonna tell you what he thought of me. He'll take you apart without any care, he's the lovely Paul Dursley, the lovely Paul Dursley. Ah, yes, it's all come flooding back to me, Peter, and what an episode it was. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I learned a lot. But what the heck does it matter what I think? We are here for the enlightened opinion of one man, Judge Dursley. So please, Master Dursley, before we get to the final verdict, what were your first impressions of episode LXXXIV? I must admit, I went into the episode, first of all, forgetting what it was going to be, because it was such a long time (laughs) since we selected it. And I was interested that you found something even very tenuous. (laughs) 
I will admit to a certain tenuosity in my linking to the subject of Latin. Tenuosity <laughs> maximus. <laughs> so, Peter, come on, tell us, what was it like researching for this episode? It started out a struggle, to be honest with you. It's a very short time period, a very specific topic and a very small area. So it was really quite a narrow uh traveling journey i went upon but uh as soon as i found those archives i was so interested in them that actually the world opened up somewhat uh and i just had to find some way of pretending it meant something to do with latin so all in all <laughs> in the end i i was pretty happy with how it turned out I, I enjoyed it but at the beginning i have to admit it was lots of very small and narrowly intersecting items which was a struggle yes there was quite a lot of socialism in it <laughs> anti-british sentiment <laughs> Oh, gosh. I can feel the grade going down every moment that passes. <laughs> it's the first one of the year, Peter. You have to take the hit, I'm afraid. Set the low bar. That we... <laughs> He's going to be in fine fettle. He's had time to rest and relax. So oh. this is it. He's coming in harsh. But anyway, Pete, I'm sure your additional facts are going to help grease the wheels to a better grade. No, 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 no. All right, so as a starting position, I wanted to talk about my favourite part of the episode, forgeries. Do you know what? When I was researching, that was such a throwaway thing that I saw, and I'm like, I must know more about this. Yeah, so this was the story that you told about the Hawa Islands, right? These desert islands that had very little on them, and uh, the British gifted them to the Bahrainis. Now, they settled the dispute between Bahrain and Qatar. And uh, later, once oil and gas was discovered, uh, Qatar felt that they had a claim. And so they went to court, and they brought with them some forged documents. That is the gist of it. That's as far as I can understand it. I don't know it in detail, but certainly there were documents that were submitted. They were later withdrawn and they were then published by the Bahrain government in their own packet of look at this forgery stuff that they tried to get away with. <laughs> well, look, I was inspired by your stories of forgeries and uh, I went to have a look and see what other sort of notable stories from history that included some element of forgery. So um, the, uh, the, the we will all, I'm sure, have heard of the Shroud of Turin one of history's most famous religious artefacts, a linen cloth said to bear the face of Jesus Christ. Doesn't exist. Yes, quite right. Uh, scientific carbon dating in the 1980s proved that it originated sometime between 1260 and 1390. So yes, couldn't possibly have been there on Jesus's face after having been crucified. Could be all part of Jesus's magic. Certainly could have been a miracle. That is true. Uh, the Hitler Diaries. So a German magazine, they paid millions of Deutschmarks for what was 60 volumes of what was supposed to be diaries written by Adolf Hitler. But uh, they then quickly had to withdraw them because they were, in quotes, clumsy forgeries written on modern paper with historical inaccuracies. On an yes, inkjet printer. <laughs> they were still being written, weren't they? So sort of he was writing the later ones yeah. when the initial ones were being checked. Serialised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it was a, a massive scandal and a huge embarrassment for the magazine, apparently. Well, the, I believe the Times in the UK also serialised the diaries and was equally caught up in the embarrassment. Ah, uh, right. 
And then finally, there's Frank Abagnale. Ah, yes. Catch me if you can. Well, this is a different Frank Abagnale. The one you're thinking <laughs> of is Frank Abagnale Jr., who was played by Leonardo DiCaprio in the film Catch Me If You Can. But uh, this one was in prison in 2002. Uh, he was serving time for fraud charges. During a search of his cell one day, just a routine search, the guards discovered colour copies of $100 bills that he'd been counterfeiting in his cell. <laughs> right? <laughs> and they knew this because the... Uh, counterfeit bills had the United Stats of America written on them. (laughs) And uh, the same side was printed on both sides of the note. (laughs) And he'd used coloured paper. Right. They they confronted him about it and he just sort of laughed it off and said, ah, no, this was just a joke. It was a prank. I didn't really (laughs) intend to make some. Was he trying to pass them, though? I think one of the things prison is famous for is a shortage of shopping options, isn't it? So I'm not sure <laughs> yeah. what he was going to, where exactly he was planning to spend these. The, the court argued that he was trying to pay back debts that he owed. But anyway, he went in and said, no, look, you know, I was just having a, a joke. And they laughed him off. So he got away with it. He was later severely beaten by the people he owed money to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, Petey, that was me. What do you got? I was interested in the pearl diving in Bahrain. If you may recall, I said historically pearl diving was a very big industry in Bahrain until it got knocked off the number one spot by the discovery of oil. Uh, And it turns out that not only was pearl diving famous in Bahrain, you can still go pearl diving today, Ryan. It's a thing you can do if you visit the area. That involves me going deep down underwater though, right? Well, there's two options actually. So you buy a permit, uh, you get a two-hour diving window and you can collect up to 60 oysters in your session. Okay. Uh, and you can go to a site close to the beach, which sounds like borderline snorkeling, actually. But then there are deep water sites also, which are like 35 miles out from the coast. So I guess you could do it either way. So you, Ryan, could be diving for pearls as we speak. I suspect that what they do is early morning, grab a load of oysters and just hurl them in the shallows, right? Yes. Well, I'm not sure it's that easy because when you open when you open them up to get the pearl, obviously the, the whole oyster comes open, so you can't just chuck them back. But uh, mm. I also learned that although you might find a pearl not a very big chance of it and most pearls that you get today in fact all pearls that you get today are cultured pearls they're called so cultured pearls uh, you take a bunch of oysters and you brain open its little shell about two to three centimeters no more than that take a little bit of kind of seed it's not sand or grit it has to be a, an organic substance so i guess it's a bit of shell or something but they sort of poke it into the oyster so it recognizes it as an irritant it begins to coat it with what's called nacre which is basically oyster snot that kind of hardens into this iridescent pearl Mm. nacreous secretions so yeah and apparently even with all of this about half of the oysters don't survive and bear pearls so even doing everything by hand as it were you only get half of them will have anything of those less than five percent will give you a pearl of the kind of quality you're looking for to use in jewelry but if you don't like those odds in the wild if you're going out and about looking about one in ten thousand will have a pearl one in ten (laughs) thousand that's amazing no wonder they were so expensive and looked upon as well they were very very rare weren't they Yes. But apparently you'll only find non-cultured pearls in things that are over 80 years old. 80 years? What, they started doing this 80 years ago? Yeah, I guess that's all of the wild ones kind of died out. Japanese, wasn't it? Japanese founded it or found a way of doing it. I believe they did, yes. And also the Latin word for pearl is margarita. 
No way, the margarita. margarita. I love a margarita. But there was an individual pearl that I wanted to tell you about. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a very famous pearl called La Peregrina. La Peregrina Margarita. I think I dated her once. (laughs) (laughs) This was a pearl. I think it was found in South America. It was massive, right? And uh, it was given as a gift to King Philip of Spain in the 1500s. Uh, And eventually it finds its way into the hands of Napoleon's brother, who was temporarily the King of Spain until the French were defeated. And he ran off taking the pearl with him to England in the 1800s, right? In England, he sold the pearl to the Hamilton family and they started what was became a frankly un- surprising tradition of losing the pearl because <laughs> I guess it was really big and heavy so it kept falling out of its setting. At one time, apparently, it got lost down the back of a sofa in Windsor Castle. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good party that night. Honestly, I've looked down the back of the sofa and found small change but I've never found a giant priceless pearl. Is that what they call pearl diving? You just go down the back of your <laughs> yeah, sofa? Latter day UK. <laughs> Pearl diving, a little bit different. But this stayed in the Hamilton's family until 1969, and they sold it at auction in Sotheby's in London. The buyer of the pearl, Richard Burton. The movie star. The movie star Richard Burton bought the pearl for $37,000 to give to his wife, Elizabeth Taylor, as a Valentine's gift. Wow. I know. Makes my box of chocolates. (laughs) I was going to say. Unfortunately, she tried to eat it. Well, um, you're not far off, actually, because she enjoyed her lovely heirloom, but she also kept the tradition alive by, at one point, losing it again. (laughs) She writes in a book, at one point, I reached down to touch the peregrina and it wasn't there. So she has a bit of frantic searching around. But then she notices the dog chewing on a bone. But wait, that's no bone. That's my priceless pearl you're chewing on, dog. (laughs) Wow. It's definitely the world's most expensive chew toy, I have to say. (laughs) But... uh, uh, so anyway, she kept it until the, she passed away. In December 2011, the pearl was auctioned off as part of a collection and it was sold to a private collector for more than $10 million. So now it lives somewhere, I didn't specify where, with a private collector who I can only assume has lost it. <laughs> <laughs> How big was it? Well, it said in my sources, which I'll be honest is Wikipedia, that it was 11.2 grams. Yeah, okay, well, that's pretty big, I suppose. Uh, but it is not the biggest pearl, Ryan, and the, the gig. Bigger pearl is the largest certified non-nacreous pearl in the world. Which is not a pearl. Which some might say isn't a pearl. And the giga pearl, compared to the, what, few grams or less of the peregrina, the giga pearl weighs in at 27 kilos. You wouldn't want that round your neck. That's a boulder. That's more like an anchor than, <laughs> than a cufflink, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> So, Ryan, that's pearls. What have you got? All right. So I was intrigued, Pete, by your rattus rattus. <laughs> yes. And so I thought I'd take a little look at some of the other scientific names for animals and plants. And uh, the, the, correct term, the correct term is binomial name. Oh, right. So I looked up some more binomial names just to see what was out there. So, yes, uh, rattus rattus was definitely one of them. There's iguana iguana. I don't know if you can guess what that is. That's some sort of uh, bird. You'll be surprised. It's an iguana. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah. And the little wren that we see is the troglodytes, troglodytes, troglodytes. 
Uh, some other interesting names that I picked up. There's Cheerepus equidatus, uh, which means pig-footed and without a tail. But unfortunately, that one actually does possess a tail. It's just that the person who discovered it and named it that found one that had had the tail eaten by a predator. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then some other ones. We've got Itibitium, which is the <laughs> cutest nice. one ever. That's the small sea snail. There's the Camera Lens, which is a predator of bacteria. Very small little thing. And then there's the Abracadabra. Cadabra, which is like a fossil bifalve. If you find a dead one, it's an abracadabra cadaver. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is the uh, Nathia marlii, which is a small parasite discovered in the Caribbean and named after... Bob Marley. Bob Marley, that's right, after a parasite. It's not great, is it? <laughs> Slightly nicer is the uh, Microgrillus bayonciae which is a horsefly from Australia named after uh, Beyonce, the singer Beyonce, because apparently it has a perfectly round rear. <laughs> is it... Is it- isn't there one that means ostentatious penis? <laughs> I'm sure there is. There's definitely a plant called Erica canaliculata. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was, there was, there's Turdus, isn't there, as well? Turdus, yes. It's a type of blackbird, the Turdus maximus, <laughs> which is a type of Tibetan blackbird. So then there's Penis rigida, which is a pine tree, which is found in the uh, eastern states of the United States. And finally, there is Buggeranus, a uh, type of wading crane. I feel bad for the wading crane, having no idea that he's been saddled with a rubbish name. But what you don't realise is that in wading crane language, Peter Goddard is equally hilarious. Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) It means magnificent specimen. Ah, yes, it certainly does. It's pronounced... All right. So, Peter, you talked about the Hawaii Islands. I was kind of fascinated by these places, so I did a little bit of research about them. And uh, as cormorant rich as you uh, led me to believe, they truly are. Stuffed with them. Stuffed (laughs) with the cormorants, they truly are. But uh, there is other wildlife too. There's the Arabian oryx, the sand gazelle wandering around. But uh, most of the animals there are sort of in the waters around the islands. And there's dolphins and turtles, you know, being the most common. But the most notable creature is the dugong. Dugong? The dugong, also known by their scientific name of Dugong Dugon. (laughs) That sounds like the chorus of a 50s pop song. (laughs) Dugong Dugong. (laughs) It does. Uh, It's also slightly appropriate because they are a threatened species, so they are nearly Dugon. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and they're going to rename them the Duwent when they've become extinct. (laughs) (laughs) The Dugong Duwent. (laughs) So they're also known as sea cows, which is appropriate because they're large mammals, they produce milk, they eat seagrass. I did look to see whether you can actually drink Dugong milk and uh, (laughs) that research led me nowhere. I'm led to believe it's very nutrient-rich and very good if you want to put on blubber. So <laughs> Probably less advisable than you'd think. Anyway, unlike most mammals, the dugong replace their teeth. Like a shark, they have new teeth which grow at the back and they move forward as the ones at the front get old and fall away. They can grow up to three metres in length, that's about 10 feet, and they can dive up to depths of 30 metres. Uh, and also, remarkably, they live for up to 70 years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but the Hawaii Islands are famous for the dugong because they are the second largest population of them in the 
world. Only Australia has more. Uh, historically, though, they were hunted in Bahrain for their meat, their oil, their fat and their hides. The hunting of them continued up until the 1930s. Boo. Yes, and who stopped it? Was it the British? Probably. Probably. <laughs> so, so we're not all bad. Probably. <laughs> uh, but yeah, now they are a protected species, so you can't go out and kill them for their fat or their oil anymore. Or their milk. Don't milk them, Ryan. <laughs> Don't milk them, no. Locally, they are known, though, as Aras al-Bahar, the bride of the sea. Oh, that's dubious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, in our episode on the United Arab Emirates, Pete, if you remember, that was our Halloween special. I do. Uh, I told a folk tale tale about the legendary creature known as Budraya, uh, which was said to climb on board ships late at night, drag sailors off of the ship down into the depths. Well, it's thought that these stories originated from the dugong, which floats and it looks as though it's someone's head. Oh. And it's like they're just watching the boat from a oh, distance. Oh, yeah, that would make me make stories in the long, lonely nights on the boat. It's that will marry them, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but don't forget, they can have lots of wives. Dugongs. That's positively encouraged these days. <laughs> <laughs> And so, with all of those facts out of the way, we have come to the end of the line. It's time for you, Peter, to step into the dock and prepare to face the people's Udex. First judgment of 2024. Udex Dursley, are you ready to give your verdict? Yes, I am ready. Then will the defendant Placet Oriri? Oh, Oriri. Oriri. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming that's please rise. I'm getting in. Yes. And put away your forged documents. <laughs> uh, Your Honour, as usual, may we start proceedings by first asking for your verdict on factual content. Was this episode as fact-rich as a dugong's milk? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a horrible thought. In terms of factual content, there are lots of anti-British slurs in this episode, which I cannot accept. It was propaganda. Um, so I'm afraid that's going to affect the factual... Although there were some interesting factlets in it, but I'm afraid I can only give you... C minus. Minus. I was expecting worse, to be honest with you. That's welcome to my world. Yeah, it's an interesting world. I don't plan on like staying it. here for long. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you say that, Your Honour, may we now have your verdict on entertainment value? Oh dear. <laughs> well. I had a bit of an issue with this one, I'm afraid, because first of all, I didn't understand the thing at the start. Yes, that is from a guy called Stefano Vittori, who has a channel on YouTube, and he basically goes around dressed as a Roman legionnaire, talking Latin to people and seeing whether or not they can understand him. And so he has a whole <laughs> playlist of videos of him singing Disney songs in Latin. That's excellent. Yeah. Well, that goes along with all of the sketches in this episode. There was one theme across all of them this time. Hilarity. Genius. <laughs> no, they were all 100% too long. Just get to the punchline! Right, one-liners coming next week. <laughs> so, Your Honour, may I have your verdict for entertainment value? Well, I'm afraid, Pete, I will give it... 
C plus. C plus. Yes, that from that was a C plus. C plus. Well, that's good, Pete. You're going up. It's headed in the right direction for sure. Let's see what happens next. All right, Your Honour. Then may we have your grading on the unknown <laughs> Dursley factor? Well, what I'm going to say is that I forgot how enjoyable History Happened Everywhere is after your little break. And so to enhance the new year and put some light into our dismal January days, I will give Peter B. Hooray! Wow, that's amazing. And thank you very much, Judge. It is good to be back. And I'm really glad that we're doing the verdict again. I'm loving it. Yes, good to be back. Thanks, Durs. And so on that bombshell, we reach the final verdict. But before the judge passes his ruling, Peter, you have an opportunity now to enter a plea. If you choose to do so, please make that plea now. If it's in Latin, you might get an uplift. Oh. Silencio est... Golden. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, come on, Golden. Aurelius. Aurelius, yes. Is that your plea? <laughs> yes, it is. Put that in the record, Ryan. <laughs> All right, Your Honour, you've heard it here. The defendant stands before you. Have you reached a verdict? Uh, yes. In which case, I would ask most respectfully for your ruling. Peter, I had to lead you into that one, I'm afraid. So, I shall give you B minus. I mean, I just. All right. <laughs> and so it begins, right? And so it begins. <laughs> the wheel keeps turning. All right. Well done, Peter. Thanks, man. Okay, well, look, there you go. That is the show for this week. If you'd like to get in touch about any of the things that we've talked about on this show or on the main show, or just to say hello, you can reach out to us on social media through our website at hhepodcast.com or by email at peteandryan at hhepodcast.com. Indeedy, we would love to hear from you. And you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. That's right. And one way to definitely feature on a future episode is to rate and review the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Your recommendation there goes really a long way to bring in the show to new listeners and if you're a social media type on mastodon facebook instagram x you can find us at hhe podcast if you subscribe to those you'll get an alert when we post extra news facts photos pictures anything we can do we'll pop it up try and put something up most days we sure do and we are going to be back again soon with our next episode which is knitting in scandinavia during 1500 to 1600 but in the meantime, a huge thank you to the judge himself. Thank you, Paul. Paulus. <laughs> Paulus Putridinus. That's a place on the moon, actually. The Marshes of Decay. <laughs> which is very appropriate. And that's it. I guess all that's left to say is... <laughs> You've been listening to... Zombies. 
So, Ryan, I thought you might enjoy some things to do in Bahrain. You know, I said you could do your diving at the underwater theme park. Yeah. That is not the only thing to do in Bahrain. There are many other things. You can go to the Royal Camel Farm and visit more than 600 camels that live there. Camels are pretty terrifying, let alone 600 of them. <laughs> the uh, the website I looked at particularly had an interesting choice of phrase. It talks about the things you could do, including riding, taking selfies, even sip some camel milk if you come early enough. But also it said, including caressing. Oh. <laughs> Caress a camel. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so you could go for that intimate camel experience, probably premium prices, I don't know. Can you stay there, like, overnight? Uh, it didn't say, but I'm sure if you've got the right moolah, they'll let you hang out with the camels overnight. Can I stay in the uh, drummer dormitory? <laughs> <laughs> Another site I saw told you to go, Ryan, to the Central Fish Market, uh, which sounded good. It's got fresh prawns, fierce-looking sharks, and various other fish. Uh, I started to get put off, though, when it said, things start to gather pace at 3 a.m. Uh, yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> can I caress the fish? Uh, you can, I suspect <laughs> if you pay enough, you can take the fish home with you and do whatever you would like with it. Um, if but, I stay uh, over, can I stay in their place? In their place? Nice. The Manama Souk in Old Manama. 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 No, stop. <laughs> now, the final thing, Ryan, I thought we could do is go to the cinema. Sinopolis in the Atrium Mall. It has 4D e-motion showings. These wow. are seats that vibrate and move around with the action. Blows wind, water and smells at you to make you feel like you're really there. Nice. And what city is that in? Uh, that's in Manama. But Manama. <laughs> <laughs> Manama. <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> there you go, Ryan. Things to do in Bahrain. Love it. Just hold on a sec. Hold on a sec.